Doyle, I appreciate that so much. And it is my joy and my honor to be with you here today. It's been a few years since I preached here last, and I thought, well, that'll be my last time preaching. But you are a merciful and loving church, and you asked me to come back, and I appreciate that so very, very much. I want to thank um, uh, Pastor Gardner and also the Church Administrative Council for extending the invitation to me. And I'm looking forward to spending some good time uh, over the next few days as we together grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Brett, thank you for that wonderful music and your daughter and your family. I, have, I know her name is Angie. I don't think I've met her yet, but we're delighted to, uh, to be with you here today. And also, Rhonda, the wonderful music and the praise team and the choir. Thank you so very, very much. Praise God. And, and uh, also so glad to see Brother David Medlin and Brother Chris. And there may be some other ministers here that I'm missing, but so very happy to see you guys and to have you in service today. I think this is where you normally are. I'm the one that's happy to be with you uh, this morning. My message for you today will, uh, will be uh, fairly brief. I know you've got chicken on the brain probably. And, uh, and we don't want to, uh, to keep you from that. But it is important. Uh, that uh, we uh, spend a little time in the Word of God this morning. And uh, the message is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 13. Now I think I'm just going to read verse 5. And when I read it and you read it, you may think, well, what kind of a message is this for a homecoming service? But I hope I will make that relevant to you. Uh, very quickly. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you. And the King James Version says, except ye be reprobates. It's also translated except or unless he is not in you. And uh, to simply uh, very quickly explain what I believe the Lord is laying on my heart for this service is this. It would be a shame on this homecoming Sunday when we have gathered together for this wonderful celebration. 68 years God has planted you and watered you and so many different pastors have come to labor with you and you've grown and developed. And you've gathered here today now. And uh, we are celebrating this wonderful event. But it would be a shame if anyone in this gathering would not be present at that great and wonderful day when we are gathered together in the Lord's presence in heaven. I don't want you, Brother Marley said it just a few moments ago, Brother Brett also uh, alluded to it. It would be horrible for any of us who gather here to worship this morning and to fellowship and celebrate to miss that event. That great day when they come from the east and the west and the north and the south and the small and the great and the prince and the pauper and they're all gathered around the great table of our God in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a place there for you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few moments this morning. It seems strange, doesn't it, that Paul 
would be admonishing members of the Corinthians church of the Corinthian church to test themselves to see if they are truly saved. The indication is that there is a clear and objective way to determine this. And folks, you know, in the day that we're living that we're living in, most of us in an evangelical Pentecostal church like this and like North Point we would pretty much assume and take for granted that everybody that comes into our doors and people that we meet in the community, when you say something like, I'm saved, or are you, that they understand what we're talking about. And as a matter of fact, many of them will agree and say they're saved, but they have absolutely no clue to what that means, what it involves. So we've come to a sad point in the development of um, the church world, really, where we cannot assume automatically that people understand what it means to be a child of God. And I don't know about you, but I am convinced because I run across people just all the time regularly who believe, like so many others, that they're ready to go to heaven. They believe that if they died in the next moment that they would go to heaven. They believe that they... Um, have a place secured for them and that they know God. And yet you can tell immediately by the way they act, by the way they talk and the way they think that they have no knowledge of the living God, neither do they have relationship with Him. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning, the, the title of my message is Salvation Examination. Paul is saying we need to take a test. We need to examine ourselves inwardly and look and determine if we truly are people of faith. And when I say, just about every politician in the world will get up uh, behind a podium in Washington and claim to be a man or woman of faith. But the question is, faith in what? And faith in who? Salvation, folks, is not purely subjective. We... Um, we're often rebuked when we try to witness to someone about the one way to heaven. And when we coin terms like that or approach people and say, you know, there's only one way to heaven, we're often rebuked and, and, called, um, and called bigots and called narrow-minded. And, um, and, and they tell us that there are many roads that lead to heaven. You see, this is part of the problem. This is the diet that the devil has been feeding the church world now for a, for a number of decades and really longer than that. And the terrible thing about it is that the church world is beginning to digest this material. And we're beginning, as it were, to open our minds when we're really not. We're just, we're just uh, beginning to believe doctrines of devils. And the fact of the matter, the truth of the matter is, if we don't believe Bible doctrine, the, the Bible says that the devil has doctrines that he will feed to us. And that's exactly what is happening in the church world today. Salvation is not purely subjective. People have various reasons why they believe they are saved, subjective reasons. If you ask them, this is what they say, I try to live right every day. I don't commit big sins like the rich young ruler. He said, all of these things I've kept from my, from my youth up, but there's something wrong, there's something missing. And Jesus put his finger on it, and when he did, he turned and walked away. 
I don't commit big sins. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. There are a lot of folks that are going to hell. You know, Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, all of those kind. Those are the kind of people that go to hell. But a loving God who loves me and created me would never send me to hell as long as I'm trying to do the best that I can do. That's the common knowledge of the culture. I try to do good things every day. I pray every day. I have a spiritual connection with God. God blesses my life. I try to love everybody. But I want you to know there's not a single one of those reasons that are adequate to get you to heaven. Salvation is first of all objective before it can be experienced subjectively. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 says this. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they be sent? John 9, 36, speaking of the man in John chapter 9 who was healed of blindness from his uh, birth. And uh, his eyes were opened miraculously. And, and when uh, the religious authorities, the Sadducees and the Pharisees examined him, and he began to testify and said, I don't know how he did it. All I know is I was once blind and now I see. And they cast him out of the temple. And when they cast him out, Jesus sought him out. And Jesus said, do you want to believe in the Son of God. And that blind man who could now see said, Sir, who is he? Acts 8 and verse 3 says, and this is talking about the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip was able to minister to in the, in the Gaza desert. He said, How can I believe and understand this word unless someone guides me? And he the Bible says, admitted Philip to come up, invited that man got saved. The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 6, uh, 16 and verse 30 said, uh, 30 said uh, what must I do to be saved? And there was only one answer that Jesus gave him. He said, or that, uh, that Paul gave him, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and all thy house. Now folks, here's what I'm saying. God has chosen an objective message and an objective method of, communi- of communicating the truth of salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now folks, preaching simply means declaring. It means 
what I'm doing right here today, but it also means teaching like some of you may have done an hour ago. It means witnessing like you may do at job, in your job or in your social circles. It means singing it like we did a few moments ago. It means writing it. It does not negate reason and debating and Christian apologetics and all of the rest. There's a place for it. It was Isaiah that said, come now and let us reason together. But what I'm trying to tell you today, it does mean that the prescribed method and the exclusive message is objectively identified as preaching or proclaiming of the cross and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This declaration, folks, and this message is the conduit through which salvation is delivered and by faith received. Now the Bible is very clear that in the last days, these days, there will be a deception that will challenge this very proposition. Paul says it will be another gospel which is not the gospel, Galatians 1 and verse 7. Galatians 1 and verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under curse. 1 Timothy 4 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last days some will abandon, depart the faith to follow deceitful spirits and doctrines of devils. They will have, 2 Timothy 3 5, they will have a form of godliness but deny its power. Preacher, you said it was going to be brief. There are five questions I'm going to give you in closing. We can ask ourselves and others about our salvation to help us know objectively if we are in the faith. Very broad questions that have a specific person, a specific, a specific purpose. Number one, you ready? We'll do them quickly. Number one, when did you get saved? Something as big and powerful and life-changing as salvation ought to be remembered. When did you get saved? The songwriter said, I, sh I never shall forget the day when the burdens of my heart were rolled away. When did you get saved? Now, folks, not everybody's going to have a Damascus Road experience like the Apostle Paul. We understand that. But when you give your heart and life to Jesus, even if it was a quiet, personal, private moment, there should be a memory of that if it was true and if it was real. You may not have felt the power of it until later, but there should be a memory of the time of decision that you said yes and bowed your heart in your knee to Jesus. I talked to someone some time ago and I asked them when they got saved. And that man told me he got saved at six years of age and he said he remembered it and he's in his late 50s now. 
You may say, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. You weren't born that way. You may have always been religious like Nicodemus, but Jesus told him, you must be born again in John chapter 3 and verse 3. Children before the age of accountability are an exception to this. Some children may have entered into salvation very early in life. And listen, that's the right way to do it. I hope that that you Sunday school teachers and you youth workers and, and you children's church workers, I know you're probably over there now. That's what they do in my church as well. But the idea there is to get those children early on, right out of the cradle. And start filling their hearts and minds with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and, 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 and they, just, they just hear it and hear it and it gets more and more in them. And, and pretty much sometimes by five or six years of age in VBS or in a Sunday school class, or a ch- they just receive Jesus into their heart. And it's normal for them and natural for them because that, that really is the best way in the world to get people saved early on. And they may not have vivid memories of that, but they... They are nonetheless saved. But most of us, most of us ought to remember when we got saved. Secondly, here's the second question. Where did you get saved? The old song chimes, I can I can tell you the time, I can take you to the place where the Lord saved me by his wonderful grace. The the place, folks, look, the place is not really important. It is not really germane to the salvation experience. It's really not that important except as a corroborating affirmation and evidence of the actual event taking place. In a court of law, there are two things that have got to be established before that lawyer can ever hope or or expect to win the case. He's got to establish when and where. You can't tell us what happened if you weren't there. And if if you don't remember where it was when you got saved, maybe you weren't there. Do you remember where you were when you got saved? I could tell you as vividly as if it were happening this morning where I was. I was in a little white frame building church that some of Brother Marley's uh, kinfolk established years and years and years ago. And my granddaddy Evans was preaching that revival. A.D. Evans, he's in heaven now. He's an evangelist, a pastor in this conference for years. But he's preaching that revival. My daddy, I'd all I'd known all my life. I'm not being disrespectful, not at all. But all I'd known all my life, my daddy was an alcoholic. And all I had known all my life was fussing and fighting and, scram- and, and scrambling for money to make bills and, and unhappiness and trauma and that kind of thing. All of my life, I, I, that's all that I'd known growing up. And on that Sunday morning, there was somebody on the right side of the church... Somebody was talking about a little while ago, I believe it was Brett, that just simply let go. They started praising and worshiping God. 
And that started a move of God. I, 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 well, I, I would say this. It didn't start it. That person, that person yielding to God, God started it. That person was the first one to yield. And the Spirit of God began to move across that congregation. I think I was about 11 years old. I was in the sixth grade. That's all I, I, I know that. So that's probably about 11 years old. And I remember people started getting up. And I remember my mama, my mama, my daddy wasn't there, but my mama got up and she was crying and tears were running. And I'd never seen that in my life. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And she was crying and she, and my granddaddy Evans went and got her by the hand. He knew she was, a, and brought her to that altar. And I thought to myself, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going too. And I really didn't know, but I just knew that there was something that was drawing me and my mama went and I followed and got on the other side of the altar. But when I got there, I started pouring out my heart to God and tears started flowing and God saved me that morning and I didn't even really know that but God saved me that morning and it changed my life and then my brother got saved my brother got saved that day and that night my daddy came to church I believe it was that night yes that night my daddy came to church and he got saved and I remember that, that I sat, I got up from the altar that night and my daddy was sitting. It was two, two uh, rows of seats. He sat on that front row and I sat beside him. And for the first time in my life, I remember my daddy reached over and put his arm around me and drew me close. That had never happened to me in all of my life. But I knew, I knew God had done something powerful and wonderful in my family. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number three, let me quickly get through with this. Why did you get saved? What was the motive? The attorney would say, Your Honor, this goes to motive. Why did you get saved? If the motive is invalid, then the effect is probably invalid. Why did you get saved? Because I wanted to live a better life. Okay, that's good. Because I was sick and I wanted to be healed. I'm, I'm good with that. Because I wanted a purpose. Okay. Because I didn't want to go to hell. Hey, I can get a hold of that real easy. Because I wanted to be happy. All of those are true. And there's a place for all of them. But that's not the primary reason to get saved. The primary reason to get saved is because I realized I was lost in sin. The Bible says, Matthew 1.21, Jesus, call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The primary reason, and listen, you say, preacher, we know this, but let me tell you, most of you may know it, but most of the world doesn't know it. The reason that a lot of folks are not truly saved who think they are saved is because they have never ever realized or embraced the fact that they are lost. And modern day preaching, listen, modern day preaching, not trying to break bad on this, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. Is it okay if I tell you the truth this week? Modern day preaching says don't say stuff like that to people. 
Don't call people lost. Don't call people sinners. There are preachers in major pulpits across America today who will not use the word sinner. They will not use that term. Because they say that is a negative term and it makes people feel bad about themselves. That's the point. The reason that we get saved, the right reason that we get saved, the right motive that we get saved is because we have come to recognize that we are lost and undone. We are separated from God because of our sins. We can't do anything to earn it. And if we don't let God do something for us, we're going to be lost forever in eternity, separated from God. Now, folks, when that truth gets hold of people... And they come to God on that basis. Why did I get saved? Because I was lost. And I had no hope. And when I came to Jesus and confessed my sins, He forgave me of my sins and washed my sins away. I'm telling you, we have people signing cards and shaking hands and joining groups and all the rest. But the point, listen, I'm not demeaning all of that. We do some of that a lot. Of, but, but I'm telling you, there's got to be this point of conversion. There's got to be this point of conviction. There's got to be this point of repentance. There has to be in order to be truly saved. I told you. We're taking a salvation examination today. I want to tell you something about this preacher. Every single morning when I get up to pray, I pray that prayer. It's not that I'm getting saved all over again. That's not the point. I don't do that. But I'm saying every morning, every day, I say, Jesus, forgive me of all the sins. Any, anything I've done. And if I know of specific things, I, I, I tell the Lord, God, I shouldn't have said that. I, I did that last night. I shouldn't have said, and I don't mean cussing. I just, I'm, I'm talking about, I said something about somebody that I didn't really have to say. And the Holy Ghost convicted. I had to repent of that. Does that mean I'm going to no, know it doesn't? It just simply means this whole idea of staying on our face and on our knees before God, recognizing that we are prone to sin unless we stay on our knees before Christ and plead the blood of Jesus and let Jesus continually cleanse us and keep us from the power of sin. I'd love to preach on that a while, but I've got to give you this remainder here. Many people are not truly saved today, even though they think they are, because they have never, they've never truly realized that they're lost. Number four, how did you get saved? The Bible says it is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Bible says that if you confess, with your, uh, if you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12 says, There is neither salvation in any other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. 
I remember I was preaching a revival at Chadburn, North Carolina, and that's, if you know anything about Chadburn, it's way out in the middle of barren farmland, and we, had a, we have, still have a PH church there, but I was preaching a revival, and one night there was this great big burly farmer, you know, the whole, the whole uh, suspender uh, stuff, you know, and all that, and he, he comes in, and, and, uh, he come, and I'm preaching, and at the end I give the altar call, and he comes in, and he bows down there, and I think, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see what he needs. And I, what do you need, my brother, to pray about? He said, I, I need to be saved. I said, all right, let's pray. And we prayed. And we prayed a little more. And at the end of that prayer, I noticed that he was fidgeting a little bit. And I looked at him and I said, did you, did you get saved? And he said, I feel better. And, I, and he started to get up. I said, hold it. Wait a minute. This is not about you feeling better. I said, please kneel back down here. And I got my Bible and I read that, those, that verse from Romans 10, 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And we prayed again. And about at the end of that prayer, when we did that, the man started weeping. And he confessed his sin. He, he repented of his sin. And by the time we finished repenting, a big smile broke out on his face and He said, I'm saved. I'm saved by the grace of God. How do you get saved? I don't care whether you're standing or kneeling. I don't care whether you're walking or running. I really don't care. You know, you can get saved in a tree like Nicodemus. You can get saved in a jail like the Philippian jailer. You can get saved in a fish's belly like Jonah. I don't care. What is important is that you get saved the Bible way. You recognize your sinfulness and you confess it and repent. That means turn from it. And the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. Now, this last one, and I'll finish here, is probably the most important one of all. What has happened since you've been saved? To me, this is where the rubber meets the road. James 2 verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works as our way of life. 1 Peter 2 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, that is a different people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. What has happened to you since you've been saved? Has anything changed? There are a lot of folks, and I've dealt with them through the years, who profess a salvation, but nothing changes in their life. They still run around with the wrong crowd. They still, they still participate in things that they did before. 
They still use the bad language that they, that they used before because you see they have bought into a worldly gospel that says Calvary and the cross covers it all and it doesn't matter how I live or what I say or what I do because I've got my name written down and, 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 the, and the box is checked and I'm going. And I'm going to live life on my own terms. And I want you to know that that is about as unbiblical and ungodly and contradictory as anything could possibly be for a so-called Christian believer to do. Not only are you lost, but you are taking people to hell with you. Not only are you deceived in a lie, but you are deceiving others whom you are telling that you are Christian and yet they see you. The Bible says, folks, from Ephesians 5 and verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. The greatest, but rather expose them. The greatest evidence of you and me being saved is what happens after we're saved. Do you go to church? And not just go to church, but are you faithful to church? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? I don't understand how, why we preachers have to beg people to come to church who are supposed to be saved. I don't understand why people who are supposed to be saved let just about anything and everything get between them and coming to church and being part of a local church. We get so busy and so committed to so many other things that we don't have part or time to be involved in the greatest work on the face of the planet. Come on, have you been saved? Have you been saved? Do you give attention to the Word of God, to the people of God? These, this is your family here. Do you give attention? Do you weep when they weep? Do you rejoice when they rejoice? Are you there for one another? Do you expose yourself? Do you yield yourself to the fellowship? What about the work of God? What about the worship of God? greatest thing in the world that we have going on in this planet is what we're doing right here today and what we do after we leave here. This is where we get gassed up, geared up, revved up, and then we go out from here with the truth in our heart and the Spirit of God in our mind and in our soul, and we tell people about Jesus, and we minister to people. Don't be deceived with this other gospel that is being proclaimed. Don't be deceived by it. May we bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are we're open to you this morning. We're open to you this week. We want you to do a great and awesome work in our hearts. God, if we're saved, we have the greatest power and the greatest relationship, the greatest mission, the greatest endeavor. If we're saved, oh God, we'll be committed 
to the call of God upon our heart, upon our life, upon our church. We're not going to let anything get between us and that. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to tear down strongholds that want to keep us away from the call and the commission of God upon our life. God, I'm asking you on this first homecoming service to help the Stoneville Pentecostal Holiness Church to get rid of anything and everything that is holding anything and everything back from what you intend our destiny to be. I believe, oh God, that you're going to pull down strongholds this week, that the power of the living Christ is going to manifest in this church. I believe, God, that you're going to call us to arms. I believe, dear God, that you're going to refill us with the Holy Ghost and with power from on high. I believe people, God, who have been wandering and wavering in the middle and they're not really in and not really out are going to be brought in and drawn close. And God, I'm praying right now for this service. That if there's a single person in this service, God, who's not really quite sure, maybe something that has been said, maybe you've put your finger, your, your, pulse, your finger on the pulse of something in their own life and, and they're questioning, they're, they're not really sure if they're right with God. Where Maybe God, they know they're not right. Maybe they've never been saved. And God, you want to reach them this morning. You want to save them today. You want to you make them born again and give them a new life today. I, I pray, Father, that in the closing moments of this service, you would do that according to the dictate of your spirit. Save somebody that is lost reclaim somebody who is wandering sliding back and sliding away we don't have time and we don't have Lord Jesus the, the privilege not a privilege we, we, we don't dare take the chance of not being where we need to be with God it's too late for that kind of that kind of behavior. God, we want to be activated. We want to be empowered and we want to be commissioned. We want to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. We want to hear the trumpet and we want to hear the shout of the ark. We want to hear it, oh God. And we want to be ready to go up when you come. Thank you, Jesus, because you hear us today. Now, while your heads are bowed, and your eyes are closed. I'm not going to prolong this altar call. But if you would just simply, on the first day of this revival, this homecoming morning, if you would say, Pastor, God has touched my heart about something today. And I, I just need to respond. I want you to slip your hand up real quick. Would you let me see it? Yeah, God bless you. There's another. There's another. Anybody else? Anybody else? How about the balcony? Anybody in the balcony? You've got something. God has put his finger on your heart and you just want to respond to him. I'm not going to embarrass you. Would you lift your hand up? Would you lift your hand up? I'm going to pray for you. Anyone else here on the main floor? Preacher, I just need God to do something special in my life this week. Come on, slip it up real quickly. There's another. There's another. God bless you. 
Anybody else? There's another. There's another. There's another. Thank you. I tell you, this is what it takes. This is what it will be. This will be the release of God's Spirit in you when you respond to Him and say, God, it's me. I want you to do this work in me. Anybody over here want to slip your hand up and say, Daryl, God bless you. And you. God. And there's another. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody? There's one in the balcony. God bless you. I appreciate that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. I worship you today. All right, let's all stand to our feet now. You don't have to come forward on this. We're just going to stand right where we are, but we're going to pray. And we're going to let God start a fire in you. Now listen, if you want to come to this altar, you make your way. That's, I'm not forbidding that. You come on and come if you want to do that. But I want us to look to God. And I want those of you who raised your hand right now in faith. I want you to believe God to answer your prayer. You confess your need to Him. And God is going to do something strong and powerful inside of you. All right? All right? Do it now. Father, in the name of the Lord, I bring every person that has lifted their hand in obedience to your spirit. God, I pray right now now, that you would answer their prayer. God, infuse in them, I pray right now, infuse in them the answer to this prayer. God, breathe in them the moving of your spirit right now. If they've committed a sin, God, I pray that you forgive them. If they've been slack in their in their in their commitment, in their behavior, if they've not been in right relationship with you, forgive them right now, God, I pray. God, I pray that you would call them. Call them, move them forward in their quest. Move them forward in their walk with you. Quicken the pace. Oh God, I rebuke the enemy, the one who has tried to trip them up. Lord, I rebuke him. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's told some of these people that they cannot work and they cannot be used. He's told some of them that they are of little value. But all of those lies we expose in this moment and we proclaim the truth over them today that they are a child of the living God, that they have been born by the Spirit and the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. God, open up the windows of heaven right now and begin to pour out of your Spirit upon them and in them, energizing and strengthening and converting and empowering in the name of Jesus. Wash away every sin, I pray. Oh, glory to Jesus today. Wash away every sin. I want you to know that sin that you thought, no, and you, maybe no one else did know about it, but you thought it was going to keep you from being what, listen, that sin is gone now. He has eliminated it. You are washed, you are cleansed, and you are a brand new creation in the name of Jesus. I bless you for it, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm just tarrying a few moments. I hope that's all right. I'm just letting the Holy Ghost of God complete the work that He's doing in you. We bless you for that, Jesus. We bless you for that, Jesus. Folks, that little fire that you see burning in you, you feel it burning in you right now. You bring that with you on Monday night, will you? 
You bring that with you on Monday night. God's going to do some powerful things for you in this, in this meeting if we'll yield to him. Amen. Hallelujah. I just want to speak one more word to you. Those of you that raised your hand. God is going to perform that work in you that you so desire. I don't know what it is, but he does. And he is going to perform that work in you. You're going to realize what what you have asked for. God is going to do and it's going to be all right. This is going to be a new beginning and an opening for you that, that, that the devil cannot stop. And I bless you for that today.